It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 153. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. Howdy do, Gary. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the middle of January. The holidays are over. The, uh, mm. the uh, oh, darn, it's another year malaise has started to set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Indeed. How are things in Denver? Uh, pretty good. Pretty, you know, regular winter weather here. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fine. You know, you got to check every day. You got to check the, the uh, weather. You got to check the COVID stats yep. and then decide whether or not you're going out. <laughs> whether you're going outside. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we've done a little bit, just a little bit of very safe um, traveling out and about. Um, but no, I think, uh, gosh, now that I, if I'm thinking about my calendar, I don't think I leave the house until next week sometime. So, yeah. 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 I'm trying to stay. And I, I'm, I'm reading a book now that, uh, I won't mention now, but it'll probably be something I mentioned in the, in the sure. show a few weeks from now when I'm done it, but the author, it takes place in the near future and the author just drops it a little reference to COVID-19. COVID-23 and COVID-27. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks, thanks. for yeah. help, helping my anxiety by mentioning those. Yeah, I think a lot <laughs> of people were, were hoping that uh, 2022 would be the year of it's finally over, but oh. it seems it seems to be dragging dragging yeah. its feet a little on the way out. I've seen headlines both, both directions, right? The headlines that say, um, you know, it looks like Omicron will be um, mm. the swan song of this yes. thing. I'm hoping. And I'm also seeing the headlines of, well, you know, if we're not careful, we'll have another variant and it could yeah. be worse. Well, thanks. You know, thanks for that uplifting. Time. But <laughs> anyway, so uh, I hear you've been reading up on. Well, yeah, go ahead. You've, you've been got doing something yeah, in your okay. smart home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got as a present for the holidays, something that led me in an unexpected tech direction. I don't really do the smart home thing, or at least right. I didn't. Right? right. I've got I've got Siri. I've got uh, Alexa and I've got. Uh, Google Assistant throughout the home. Matter of fact, I've talked in the past how I got a Google Nest Wi-Fi system, mm-hmm. and two of the, the the two satellite stations have the Google Assistant on them, which was completely irrelevant to me. It's like I I don't really care about that. Right. I just want Wi-Fi throughout the house. But it is nice to be able to ask for the weather or a timer sure. while I'm in my living room or kitchen because yeah. there happens to be a station nearby. But I never tried to actually hook anything up to any of these systems before. It just hasn't been that interesting to me. Well, accidentally, I stumbled into the beginning of a smart home because I um, put on my wish list for the holidays a a bedside clock. And the feature I wondered on the clock was that it would dim automatically. Okay. Because I hate when you have a clock and it's like, if you set it for darkness, you can't read it during the day. Right. And if you set it for during the day, at, then you lights turn the lights the off and yes. it lights up the room. Well, this one automatically dims. And I'm like, oh, great. And it was like $30. I mean, it was like really cheap for that one feature I was sold. But it happens to include Google Assistant on it. Okay. Like microphone, speaker, the works. Uh, as I was like, well, it might be useful to actually ask for the weather. Sure. You know. So, okay. So I put it, I, put it there. And I was like, yeah, I might look, it's like three steps here. I'll just, now it's hooked up to my system. It's now in my Google home app as a fourth thing I've got. And I can ask for the weather. Well, in the box came an extra, a bonus, a light bulb, a led dimmable multicolor light bulb Ooh. that you can control using 
right. any system you want, right? So I was like, well, there's a, there's a lamp on my nightstand. Uh, okay. I put the bulb in there. I went through the steps. And sure enough, I was able to utter the magic words to the Google Assistant, and I named it Nightstand, and I say, Nightstand on, Nightstand off, and the light goes on and off. And I'm also able to set the brightness and color if I wanted to and all that. And it actually was quite nice because I didn't realize before what I did every night was I basically walked into my bedroom, walked across the bedroom in the dark, and turned on my light by the nightstand. Now I don't have to do that. Before I even get in the room, I actually utter the words, and the nightstand light comes up. But while I was going through the list to set this up, there's actually a like, you know, okay, configure device. And then there's this huge list in the Google Home app where I had to find the manufacturer of the light bulb and select it and go through the steps to set it up. I noticed all these other names and one popped out at me. It was Honeywell. And I was like, Honeywell, I've got a Honeywell thermostat, an internet connected Honeywell thermostat that I've only ever used through the app. That allows me to check the temperature in the house or change the settings mm-hmm. for it in the app. And I thought, well, this seems to be what I have. So I basically just you know pressed a couple of buttons, entered a password, and all of a sudden there's my temperature of the house and the setting for the thermostat. <laughs> and then I uttered some words to my assistant and I was able to change the thermostat temperature or get the temperature of the house. I was like, well, uh, I didn't even really attempt to do this. I just accidentally basically hooked the climate control in my house. And now I can control it from all over the house using my voice. And then I did one more thing. It's because I was like, well, what else do I have? And I scrolled through the list and didn't find anything except it said Roku TV. And then I had to actually get up, walk over to the TV in my bedroom and see, oh, it says Roku at the bottom. <laughs> like <laughs> I knew I had a TV that, you know, would give me access to all the apps, but I didn't right. really care. It's, you know, so I was like, oh, okay. And sure enough, a couple steps later, um, I can't, I think my TV is a little too old. It doesn't turn on automatically. Like it won't get that signal, mm-hmm. but when it is on, I can control volume. I can turn it off. I can go to a different app and tell it to do various things using Google home. <laughs> So um, I, I suddenly I'm sitting there in my bedroom saying, hey, I've got the lights, the temperature, and the TV all suddenly under voice-activated control from my clock. How'd that happen? Like, I didn't plan to do that. <laughs> if I had planned to do that, it probably would have taken way longer. That's funny. So yeah, yeah, and now I'm also thinking, well, it was so easy that now every time I see a sale on uh, smart light bulbs that are compatible, well, I may be tempted to, I don't know, get a few, you know, where else can I stick one? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it, it's ad- it is addictive. It's absolutely addictive. I, yes. I actually have a, a situation in my office where there's a hall that goes downstairs and w- in the winter time, I will, it will be dark by the time I'm done for the day. Right. So I actually leave my office, shut the light off and because I went upstairs when it was light out, the hall light isn't on. So I go, I leave my office, I turn the light off and I have to find my way down the stairs in pitch darkness. So I'm thinking that's where the next light bulb goes. It's a safety issue, man. Cause then I could just you know, <laughs> speak some words and the, and the light will go on. But anyway, that's ca- kind of neat. I never, I didn't think it would be so useful, nor would uh, it be so easy to do. Right. Um, right. And, it's gotten a lot easier. It's yeah. funny. Um, the scenario that you started with, you know, the light across this, the, across the room in your bedroom, um, that, well, my, my foray into home automation goes back further. Do you remember X10? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. way back when, uh, we, I installed some, 
uh, X10 light switches in our bedroom. So that specifically for the purposes of being able to uh, get into bed and turn off the lights as opposed to turning off the lights and then stumbling to the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been doing that. We did that for a long time. And what we had was, um, you know, remote control switches and a, um, a little control panel that would sit like on the nightstand that I could, you know, push the buttons and the lights would go off. And it did all that through the, uh, through the AC wiring, right, through the power lines. And then uh, I tried to get something else. I forget what the deal was, but it was like, you know, that's not available anymore. But there are these things over here that use Wi-Fi instead. And I said, well, that's cool. I've got Wi-Fi and I could fire up an app on my phone and do this kind of stuff. So I actually ended up replacing those switches with uh, Wi-Fi enabled switches. Mm. And then, um, and then of course, uh, Amazon came along. Uh, I have, in fact, while you were speaking, since I knew I would be mentioning its name a time or two, yeah. I, went, I went over and hit the mute button or the, the stop listening button on my uh, Amazon Echo. But, you know, we, so that's what's in our bedroom right now. Instead of a, a, instead of a control panel, there's just one of these little Amazon Echo pucks sitting on the nightstand. And it's like, you know, Alexa, bedroom off. And it turns off the bedroom lights. But like I said, it's addictive. Um, we, so, so some of the phrases you might hear it before all this, right. We got, we got the very first Amazon echo when it came out, the one that looks like a, a tube and, Mm, um, um, it's you, it's, it still sits in the, in the kitchen and it is essentially a glorified egg timer. That's that's really all we end up using that one for. Um, Occasionally, uh, we'll use it when a guest comes over to settle the dispute, (laughs) right? Yeah. No, it was so-and-so that was the president of such and such. No, no, who is you? But um, uh, now you'll hear us say things like, uh, you know, turn on the patio lights because we've got some of these, some nice lights on a gazebo outside on our patio or turn on or off the Christmas lights. And uh, which actually turned out to be even better because uh, with the, the problem we had, it's now that we've got to turn on the front door lights, the front porch lights. Mm-hmm. And the reason that got switched is because we wanted that to be automatic. We wanted that to be programmable. And the everything you install in the wall for that are incredibly cumbersome to program. And annoyingly, the one I happened to choose for many years uh, lost its programming every time we lost power, mm. which is annoying as heck. Now, of course, it's um, all Alexa enabled. And uh, yeah, I just fire up my phone and I say, turn things on uh, 20 minutes before dusk, which I thought was a pretty neat uh, approach to doing it. And then mm. turn it off at like 1230 or something like that. And I did the same thing for the Christmas lights. I did the same thing for the patio lights. And now my new office lights are going to be automatic. And I discovered that the television I'll be talking about in a little while uh, has uh, not only uh, about 90% of Roku built into it, uh, but it also comes with uh, Amazon Alexa and Google's voice, uh, you know, Google Home, and uh, might even have Siri in it as well. Uh, and I don't think so. It doesn't have that, but it's got the other ones uh, just built into it. Uh, which is all very cool. And I haven't even begun to experiment with that. It's got a little microphone icon on the remote control so that I can push that and talk to Alexa and say, you know, switch to Paramount plus and start playing NCIS or something like that. So, (laughs) um, you know, there's, there's, like I said, it's just, it's fun. It's addictive. And yes, we have uh, um, Alexa's 
all over the house now. I've got one in the room that I'm in, uh, my mm -hmm. little uh, studio. Uh, there will be one in my office. There is one in our kitchen. There's one in our bedroom. And I think I'm forgetting, one. oh, there's one in my basement, but that's because it's plugged into the, um, our house has a built-in sound system. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, you know, there's speakers in actually in my office, in the kitchen, in a couple of other rooms. Um, so it, act, it can act as a source for that, uh, which is kind of cool. So anyway, yeah, we've been going down this path and I suspect there will be only be more. It's one of the reasons when I fire up my network controller and I take a look at how many devices I have connected to my Wi-Fi, I'm up to something like 40. Yeah, yeah between... I, I was thinking about that, that light bulb. Is yeah. now, uh... <laughs> it is now it, it has its own IP address on your network, which is yep. just sort of a bizarre. What's really weird about these things, like even your light bulb, it's probably running a Linux kernel. Yeah, <laughs> right? <it's> true. <laughs> I know it's incredible. I, I was you know the the one funny th uh, thing is that you know I mentioned a month or two ago how I added Blink cameras to yes. you know my front door. Well, of course I can't connect those to this system because it's Google and Blink only works with Alexa because Blink is owned by Amazon. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, if I had known I was going to go, <laughs> I, I think there's another one that, you know, would or several probably that work with Google. If I knew I was going to end up, you know, I'm probably going to end up split, right? I'm probably going to end up having to buy more Echoes and then installing like <laughs> Echoes and Google next to each other and then maybe get some uh, HomePod minis and put them so I can just talk to whoever I need to talk to at any right. given time. You just have to remember who to ask. Exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe it'd be great if you could build it. You know, it's ask, uh, ask Alexa and Alexa answers. Uh, no, that's not me. That's Siri. <laughs> you know, no. So it's what really you need is a, voice. is a Google skill that you could install on Alexa. So you can ask Alexa yes. to ask Google to turn on a light. Yeah, there you go. Just I saw a, uh, uh, a video some time ago when both Alexa and the Google device were relatively new, mm -hmm. where they managed to use some kind of a trigger phrase yeah. that would allow them to talk to one another indefinitely because yep. each would end with the other's trigger phrase. So. Yeah. I've seen that in action. Actually. I knew somebody, okay. well, we, we both know somebody that has both and the, they showed it to me. <laughs> pretty, yeah. yeah, that's pretty funny. So now you you know with Siri in the mix, you need to make it a threesome and figure out yeah, how to yeah, one to talk back, to the other. All conversation back and forth, yeah. yeah, and then they'll start to learn from each other. Ah. That's the scary part, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, and that's scary. For the record, by the way, before oh. we move on, um, we one of my forty plus Wi-Fi devices are in fact my Ring doorbells, and oh, also go. also owned by Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be surprised if those worked with your Google device since the, the blinks don't. Right. But mm. um, that too is something that has been uh, kind of interesting and eye-opening and fun to play with. Yep. Cool. Well, speaking of scary, as I was saying yes. before, um, it, it, this is one of those weeks where one of the top stories in the news is actually a tech story. So that's nice for us. Um, and of course, it's the kind of uh, mostly clickbaity type scare around right. 5G and airports. 
airplanes are going to start falling from the sky. <laughs> they're going to start. Yeah, the the you know the, if you read a quick summary, then you, you what you thought might have happened is that today, the day we're recording this, uh, that AT and T, Verizon, were going to flip the switch and all the airplanes were going to fall out of the sky. But uh, at least that's what the FAA kind of claimed. Um, it's actually a really interesting uh, story about uh, about tech. So, all right, so we know there's five G rollout all across the country. It's been going on. A lot of us have 5G phones already. And a lot of us have 5G service, perhaps in the cities that we live. And most of us are tired of 5G commercials, but carry Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it turns out um, uh, there was a big Hubble blue this last week when the, uh, uh, the airlines all got together, the major ones in the US and said, um, yeah, all our planes are going to, we're going to have to stop flying our planes if Verizon and AT&T are allowed to switch on their 5G towers near airports, which they were scheduled to do this week. Right. Um, and um, the FAA came in and said, yep, that's right. The, the, uh, you know, these networks shouldn't be allowed to switch on these uh, towers. And the FCC said, no, 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 <laughs> we're, with, we're with the uh, networks. Um, we gave them approval for this three years ago. And we told you about this three years ago. And this was all supposed to be sorted out. And now at the last minute you come up. So, so you have a, basically you've got the airlines on the one side and the networks on the other, but you also have the FAA on the side of the airlines and the FCC on the side of the other, right. A, a strange case of two federal, you know, the federal aviation administration and the federal communications commission now being at odds with each other. So the story is, is that uh, 5G is not a one is not one thing, right? It's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of different bands, a whole different different types of stuff. That's why it's called G. G is for generation. It's this group of technology right. to improve our mobile phone connections. Uh, 4G was a group of technology. Now 5G is a group as well, and has various things. There is one part of it. It's called, I believe, C band, which is a section in the in the middle of the spectrum that is actually a really useful section for high bandwidth stuff for like mm -hmm. you know watching videos on your phone or whatever it's going to be really useful um and that section of bandwidth is close in range to something that airplanes use and that's landing altimeters so when a plane comes in for a landing when everything is clear and when everything is working fine, the plane can land fine. But if the mm -hmm. weather is bad and visibility mm -hmm. is bad, and perhaps communications aren't that great, the plane has a system where it can actually bounce radio waves off of the ground to determine exactly how high it is. So it's basically one of the many ways the plane knows how high it is. But in some situations, it could be the only way. Right. And it turns out that bandwidth that you know, is used for that is right next to some of this bandwidth for 5G C-band. So the idea is that, uh-oh, they're close to each other. There could be interference, right. right? So a bunch of 5G, like imagine a 5G tower right at the end of the runway trying to broadcast. And the same time, the plane's trying to figure out how high it is. And if there's interference, the plane gets a wrong signal. It thinks it's 115 feet off the ground when it's 97 feet off the ground. Right. And that could, that could you know, lead to issues when you're trying yes. to land, not knowing <laughs> your altitude. 
so the basically the F, the FAA and the airline said we we don't think it's going to be safe to land our planes if there are 5G towers near airports. Um, so we're sending a warning that if this goes live, we're we're going to stop flights and stuff like that. Um, the FCC and the and the network said, look, this isn't news. Three years ago, we knew about this. Three years ago, we all talked about this together and decided it would be okay as long as you guys had a big head start and could test things out. And then uh, you know what the the networks are saying is you squandered that time, and you still don't have your answer. You should have had your answer by now and sort of fix this because it turns out that remember I said that the bandwidths are next to each other. Well, oh, they, can I ask a question? Yes, I, I've and I know that we'll have a pendant or two in the um, uh, listenership. My bandwidth. I'm assuming you're meaning frequencies. Yes, sorry. The radio. The radio I, I guess I'm using band, yeah the bands the frequency bands. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they're next to each other, but they're not the same. They don't right. overlap. And as a matter of fact, from the beginning, there was a buffer of frequency between the two, okay. knowing that this was an issue. We, we don't want the, you know, it, them to be directly next to each other. So right. there's going to be this buffer between them. Matter of fact, they recently increased that buffer by a little bit just to be extra safe when they saw that the airlines and the FAA were freaking out a bit. But it, it turns out that a properly operating modern airplane altimeter has no problem with this at all. As a matter of fact, 40 different countries have this type of C-band 5G uh, right next to their runways. Okay. And there hasn't been any issue. Excellent. But, uh, well, and of course, some people point out, well, some of those that are lower power than what they're planning to use in the US, but some are not. But um, what's pointed out is that some of the airplanes turns out have improperly working altimeters. I was wondering. That, that do get uh, some sort of interference or may get some sort of interference right. from these towers. They're not sure. So in an abundance of caution, they're saying, wait, don't turn these towers on. Um, so the, the networks and the FCC said, okay, we're going to delay everything two weeks. You got two weeks to figure this out. <laughs> I mean, it's probably down to testing you know all the planes right and see if their altimeters actually have an issue if you broadcast too close to the spectrum that they need uh for for this mm -hmm. um you know and it's something that probably other countries figured out probably something international airline flights already figured out um but it's it, it's kind of weird now on top of all that you have tons of clickbait headlines yes that have been really bad because from what I understand, and, and we'll link to an article here that I think explains all the stuff I just said really well. Um, but I also saw a TV segment and they were talking about the fact that, you know, this isn't a problem with your phone. Your phone isn't powerful enough to really be an issue. Right. It's the towers. Right. Right. So when you see a headline saying that 5G could be causing an issue with planes, you, you're tempted to think immediately, oh, the 5G in my phone is causing a problem with the planes. No, it's the 5G in the towers. Right. It's that end of it. That's bad enough to kind of infer that maybe you should read this article because your phone is the, the problem. Um, but I've actually seen articles that have said the 5G in your phone could hurt airplanes. Like, no, 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 that's actually not inferring anything. That's just Stating saying yes. <laughs> the completely wrong, wrong thing. thing. It's not the 5G in your phones. It's the 5G in the tower that you're right. you know, at the other end. 
Um, oh, and by the way, the delay uh, is for this is actually just around the airports. You know, the whole thing is is to say let's not roll out these towers, you know, within a distance of runways. Right. So, um, you know, in cities, uh, in other places away from uh, airports, um, you know, the five G rollout has been going on, and it will continue to go on. Um, it's this is just near fifty U.S. airports. Actually, is what the FAA. Interesting. is asking for it. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, there we go. That, I hope so that kind of explains what we're going through. It's funny because uh, our local, the, the big airlines uh, headquartered here, Alaska Airlines, it uh, said something in the news yesterday, I think it was that I saw it, where we had a couple of really foggy days here. Yeah. And they made the statement that had the 5G stuff been turned on at our airport, they would have been unable to land safely. Um, and that would have you know, resulted in yet more flight cancellations because, of course, there's a bunch of cancellations going on due to um, mm. COVID and, and everything else. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, it's. It, I was wondering if there wasn't some aspect of equipment quality involved here, because one yeah. of the things that happens with radio devices is that uh, when they transmit, they often, uh, you know, they transmit at a particular frequency, but they also then, as a side effect, depending on how well the circuitry is designed, transmit at uh, various harmonics of that frequency, which means that, you know, you could be transmitting here nice and strong, but then over there in somebody else's yard, you're also transmitting just not as strong. There are some uh, ham radios, for example, that are notorious for being just horrible in that regard. So it makes me wonder if that's the kind of a thing that's going on, not knowing how the, uh, uh, the out, you know, the altimeter actually works, uh, it's interesting to see that they could be impacted by those other transmitters, though. That's uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of kind of. And I also wonder how big an issue it really is. I mean, like you say, if this has been working properly in other airports around the world, um, how many airliners are we actually talking about that have what boils down to a crappy radio? Yeah, they uh, say in the article here uh, on the Verge that you know they don't know. Um, they do say, to be clear, I'm quoting the article now, to be clear, this is a malfunction of the radio altimeters, but it's a malfunction that wouldn't have been relevant before C-band came online. So right. the idea is you could have had a malfunctioning altimeter on your plane for a long time, right? and it didn't matter because right. there was nothing going on in the band that, uh, you know, sorry, the frequency yep. that it would have, uh, yep. you know, would have caused the problem. It's and kind of suddenly like they, they switch these on, there will be. It's kind of like software that way. I mean, if there's a bug, but nobody knows about it, what does it matter? Right. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll be able to te test all the planes the right. next two weeks. Uh, it also, to me, I was thinking, it's like, well, what's the big deal? Just to delay everything and, or, you know, figure it out and all that. And then I started to see, you know, this article talks about numbers too, and something about like the fact that they spent something, something like $65 billion to buy this bandwidth mm -hmm. and roll out these towers and do mm -hmm. everything like for years building up to this moment. So, you know, I kind of get it where it's like, Hey, we spent so much money sure. and so much time and so much effort. And all the FAA and airlines had to do was test the, 
this one piece of equipment on planes to see if there were any malfunctioning ones. Right. And they just didn't do any, didn't do it. <laughs> it's, like, it's interesting too, because you know, there, there's, there's the other argument is that, well, it's, you know, it's only around the airports that you have to turn this thing off, yeah. which, you know, is fine. That's true. Except uh, where do people spend a lot of time using sure. their mobile devices for data communications while they're waiting for their flight? Uh, yeah. You know, it's the airport where you actually want a lot of this high-speed connectivity that 5G promises. So, and 5G, I mean, it's it's unclear to me anyway, and probably unclear to you know everybody except the insiders here, exactly how far, like you need to be like. Right. I know the term the terminal here at uh, the Denver airport, there's the main terminal, which mm-hmm. is really far away from the runways. Right. And, you know, you take your train underground train to the regular um, uh, place, you know, the, where the gates are. Right. And the gates themselves, the runways aren't right outside the gates. You know, the right. plane taxis over to them. I, I know 5G can tend to be, some of it, very close range. I mean, I right. see the towers in my neighborhood. Right. And I know it's close range because there's a tower here and there's a tower two blocks later by the same company. So it's like, all right, that must be the limit of these towers anyway. Um, so I don't know if it's the kind of thing where, you know, at the terminal, you actually don't, you know, there might already be 5G turned on. This just might be, you know, on the road going alongside the runway, right? you know, on the other side of the airport or something. I, yeah. I'm sure it varies. Um, hopefully, they'll just figure it all out and we'll just get a, you know, oh, the FAA and the FCC have determined everything's good and the companies turn all the stuff on and nothing happens and everything's fine. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of testing in the future. Let's hope that no airplanes fall out of the sky, at least not due to this. I don't. I yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, I, it sounds like an abundance of caution kind of situation. So right. it's the kind of thing where you know that the mobile mobile providers and the FCC have kind of the right to be angry because yes, like you should have taken care of this. But the FAA also says, look, we always want to err on the side of safety and caution. So you know, can we yep. push this back a few weeks? And, and, and it's, it's been an, an odd two or three years for everybody. So there's that <laughs> yeah. factoring into it as well. So yeah, definitely. So cool. it, in other news then, yes. um, it's interesting. Two of my interests are getting married. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, it, it took me completely by surprise, to be honest. Uh, what I'm talking about, of course, is Microsoft's acquisition of Blizzard Activision uh, for something like $65 billion, the largest mm-hmm. technology acquisition ever, mm-hmm. uh, certainly by Microsoft, but apparently it's ever. Uh, and for me, of course, I mean, obviously, you know, I used to work at Microsoft and I used to play a lot of World of Warcraft. Um, you know, now if Warcraft suddenly starts becoming part of my Xbox subscription, well, maybe I'll have to go back and see. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of speculation on this as to why now and why it's happening and so forth. And, and there's a lot to unpack. One of the things that is contributing to it, a lot of people believe, are the ongoing claims or accusations of what I'll just call a toxic work environment over at Blizzard. Um, yeah. Lots of harassment, sexual harassment claims, that kind of stuff, an old boys network kind of thing. And uh, which in and of itself may not necessarily be Microsoft's motivation, but what it did affect, of course, is Blizzard's stock price. And that may have been seen as an opportunity for Microsoft to come in and swoop them up for 
only $65 billion, as opposed to some probably potentially larger number had the stock mm -hmm. price been higher. Um, there's, it's interesting that in reading some of this on uh, like some of my Microsoft old-timer groups, um, there's actually a fair amount of hope amongst people, Microsoft employees, both past and, uh, past and current, that, um, you know, if any company can can fix or or improve the work environment at something like uh, you know what we're hearing about Blizzard, it's very possible Microsoft may be able to do it, may be able to pull that off. Um, as you know, I, I love the note that you have here in our notes, Gary. Uh, you know, maybe the parental oversight the company needs, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's exactly what this that's is. Microsoft Microsoft has a much uh, uh, more mature approach these days internally. Um, I don't know that their gaming division is necessarily as "quote unquote" adult, just out of necessity. I mean, you have to you have to have the right mindset to be um, um, you know, to be successful in gaming, but it doesn't have to be toxic. So, I'm I think that there's a lot of a lot of potential there. I really do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out uh, and what the details are. There are some um, I've heard. Uh, the uh, FCC mentioned a time or two. In other words, will regulators approve it? And there's a uh, a diversity of opinion on that as well. In that, you know, are we letting uh, a gaming company now uh, become "quote unquote" too big? But there's still lots of competition. They're not even the biggest, right? It's um, yeah. If I remember correctly, it's Sony and Tennyson that are the highest. Yep, that's right. I I think that's right. I know Tennyson definitely is bigger but yeah yeah it's it's either sony or or is it yeah no, it wouldn't it wouldn't be nintendo anymore no it's got it's got to, it's got to be sony anyway the point being though that um it'll be really you know they'll be part of a really really big company will they have too much influence it's hard to say the yeah. other thing that i have heard speculated and i'm not sure how i feel about this it, some people are saying that this is microsoft's reaction to uh, Facebook's metaverse, mm, right? Yes. To to going into the metaverse, and I'm tempted to say, no, um, this isn't a metaverse thing, but I'm also tempted to say yes because I think one of the things that progress towards the metaverse uh, has has made a little bit more lucrative is in fact gaming, mm. because uh, as the metaverse, as people try and make the metaverse work. Uh, where it stands its greatest chance of working, because in a sense, it's already been working there for a couple of decades, is in fact in online gaming. Massively right. multiplayer online games are, in a sense, a metaverse. And that's something that Microsoft, it's funny, they've done it in the past. They, they had, uh, in fact, the reason I started playing massively multiplayer online games uh, was because way, way, way back in the day, uh, Microsoft owned a game called Asheron's Call. It was a multiplayer game, and I was introduced to it by a friend, and I got hooked, and I played it, and then Microsoft sold it, um, and things just got, you know, it just it it went out of favor, and and a bunch of us, a number of of online friends that I had made, then through the game, we all kind of sort of said, you know what, let's go play World of Warcraft instead, and that's where I was for probably over a decade. But um, so Microsoft has been here before, but they don't really have as strong a multiplayer presence. Now with um, Blizzard Activision, they've got 
you know, World of Warcraft and Diablo and Starcraft and a bunch of other games that are all about the multiplayer experience and understanding how to make that happen. So uh, I think, honestly, I think it's a good move for Microsoft. I know that the um, the stock market didn't necessarily think so, uh, just because Microsoft stock went down a little bit on the on the news. Blizzards went up on the news, which makes a fair amount of sense. I think it does prevent a, or present a potential for a fair amount more stability for Blizzard Activision. The real risk, I think, is that uh, rarely does an acquisitioned company uh, remain unscathed. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. Uh, very often, it does result in an exodus of some of the important talent from the company. I'm sure that Blizzard has its share of Microsoft haters who would just absolutely, you know, would, would revolt at the idea of having to work for Microsoft. And um, Microsoft may not necessarily agree with all the priorities and therefore not all the games may survive, right? They may spin off some of the games or shut down some of the games or something like that. So I think it's interesting times for the gaming world. Uh, I think that it does have, uh, you know, like I said, some really good uh, potential for Microsoft. It all really does boil down to the execution on the merger. Yeah, and I agree with both your main points there that uh, this is probably a good thing for Activision Blizzard because of their horrible record recently of yep. or probably all time of, uh, you know, employee issues, you know, right. um, this having a company that has, is more mature, has like a, you know, a solid HR department and policies and rules and procedures and things like that has got to be good. And probably I'm hoping, uh, is something that some of the employees welcome as right. a way for them to continue there and working on their projects and their games and stuff now now that they've got that and then you know i do think it is kind of a, a metaverse play i mean the obvious thing is to look and say hey you know microsoft's xbox they've got a bunch of their own game you know their own studio this expands x you know the whole xbox world it's probably a win just for that but um you know facebook kind of went in and said we're going to do the metaverse and I've been waiting to see who is going to be challenging them. Right. Uh, and I think this is a clear sign there. You know, there are rumors that Apple, there are tons of rumors Many that Apple rumors. is also doing that, but right. they're just rumors. If you look at what the company's actually working and doing on, it doesn't look like Apple's interested at all. So, you know, we have to see if there, there are, if whatever headset type of thing Apple comes out with is more AR than VR, then no, Apple's probably not meta, you know, going to do the metaverse. If it's more VR than AR, then ah, Apple is probably going to somehow enter that. Um, but I think this is a clear sign. Like you said, that it, it, we don't really know whether or not Microsoft's interested in this. But if they were, this would actually be a fantastic first move. Yep, yep it's a great stepping stone. <laughs> and, and, and even look at Warcraft and say, we could build the metaverse from Warcraft. I mean, instead of you know Facebook, let's start from scratch, right? Having uh, and Facebook literally tried to start from scratch, and they tr right. they try to make their own operating system from right. the ground up, and they abandoned that. Uh, but Microsoft could go and say, you know, uh, let's build it out of Warcraft. You know, use that engine. Get you know, go from in in that direction. This is our head start. 
I'm, um, I'm hoping I, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, yeah. I think I know a little bit too much about the Warcraft engine to say, oh, yes. I, ho I hope they don't choose that one. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the Warcraft engine is like 15 years old, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's sure. classic mature software that's been upgraded and bolted on. And it's, it's, I don't want to call it a ball of mud, but it's, it's <laughs> along those lines. Right. And a lot of people, uh, one of the the comments you occasionally see in the Warcraft forums are so gee I wish they would rebuild this with the this engine or that engine because it would look so much better. Maybe they are. But but what the interesting thing is that uh, you know maybe Blizzard has uh, more than one engine to choose from, sure. and uh, maybe this is an opportunity to to or or this is an opportunity for them to say hey now we're not limited to just what Blizzard has let's also take a look at some of the other opportunities that. Uh, Microsoft's muscle, Microsoft's knowledge, and if necessary, Microsoft's money could also help us to uh, to make progress on. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of talent there. I mean, they, they, you know, Microsoft could be looking and saying, "Hey, here's here are the people that we need to build our engine right. for the metaverse." Right? right? They're all working here. Now we've acquired that, and you know, that's that's how we use it. So anyway, I think it's I, I think it's a really interesting thing that um, I, I have a good feeling about. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, yep, I do too. I like I said, it'll, uh -huh. it'll see. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I don't think there's going to be any government interference. I really don't. No. But uh, but nonetheless, we'll see how see what happens. So a quickie moving on from this all brand new and exciting technology to yeah. um, old and exciting technology. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Yahoo Groups? Oh sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they killed that what a couple of years ago. Maybe mm. even longer now. Time is a blur these days. They killed it in stages, so yeah. Yeah, um, they killed it. Uh, Google still has Google Groups. Uh, the whole concept of an email discussion list turns out to be getting more and more difficult to find proper hosting for. And a lot of that I just blame squarely on spammers, right? There's spam is such yeah. a problem. It makes email delivery, reliable email delivery a challenge. I think that I, I have a feeling that's what killed Google Groups as much as anything else. Well, Google was, Groups is still is absolutely still around and it's still in use. Uh, not, I'm sorry, uh, Yahoo, Yahoo Groups. groups. Yes, Yahoo yes, Groups yes. had a major flaw in right. terms of how spammers got into it. And right. uh, yeah, anyway. Right. Um, anyway, so um, of all of all things, I am on a discussion list where we talk about you can guess corgis. Uh, yeah. I'm one of the moderators. I've been on the list for gosh, probably 12, 15 years, something like that now. And uh, we have been using uh, ListServ software, uh, which is even older than the groups we've been talking about, uh, that is being provided to us free of charge from a major university. I'll just say a major university, just in case nobody um, nobody gets uh, annoyed because I'm going to criticize their support. The, <laughs> the fact is that the software got updated recently. And as a result, We've been having all sorts of problems with our list. And because we're a guest on their system, it's not particularly reasonable to expect that we're going to get a whole lot of support from them. Mm. So uh, we started investigating alternatives and stumbled onto groups.io. Groups.io, um, it's not, it, it, small groups are free. This is a large group, so it's actually going to be a, a sponsored situation. But uh, groups.io is, essentially Yahoo Groups reborn and done a little bit more properly. And in looking at its interface and setting things up, I was 
kind of surprised at how Yahoo groups-ish it looked until I read some of the backstory of the company, only to find out that groups.io was started by the same guy who originally started Yahoo Groups. Ah. So, so he definitely has, you know, some concepts of how things should work and they work great. And like I said, this, this weekend is the big, uh, the big move. We're going to be moving something like a thousand people over and it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but I just wanted to, to, you know, old technology gets new again as well. And email groups are definitely not dead. And uh, groups.io holds some promise for us to maintain the longevity. I think this is going to be like the second major provider shift for this particular uh, discussion group. Uh, it's been around, I think, on the order of 20 or 25 years. It started a really, really long time ago. Corgis have been popular for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the original provider went away and we moved to this university. And now we're just making the decision to move to a more robust provider along the way. So fun times, fun times for the Corgis. Yeah. Yeah. Neat site. So we mentioned, I mentioned earlier that I got a new TV. Uh, yep. I think I mentioned it last week, actually. I now have a 75-inch uh, Samsung uh, 4K HD TV, which so far I absolutely love. Cool. Um, and we've got it, you know, it's another internet of things, things it's got its own operating system and it's got, you know, a bunch of things built in, which is kind of cool. And it's very possible. I may not need my Roku, but we'll see. So what did I watch first is usually the question that, that everybody comes up with. And mm-hmm. I had been watching a movie while exercising. I've been doing it in pieces. So I was watching, you know, like a half an hour one day and then another half an hour the next day. And I finished that movie on the uh, uh, the Samsung, the 75 incher. It was of all things, um, uh, uh, of course, I forget the name's <laughs> slipping right now, right? Don't um, look up, right? It's, it's the new Disney one. Oh, no. Well, I thought you should watch Don't Look Up because we were talking about that the other Oh, the new Disney one. Oh, um, are you talking about the animated Disney one? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, Encanto. That's what it is. Oh, Encanto. Encanto. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So things. I, yeah, I watched, I finished watching Encanto in 4K. And I got to say, uh, the animation is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, remember, I asked you several weeks ago what I noticed the difference. I noticed the difference. I really noticed the difference. It's very, very cool. Um, I, you know, Disney Plus automatically switches to 4K when you've got it. And uh, that was very, very cool. Now, what I discovered is that Netflix doesn't automatically switch you over to 4K. It notices that you're running a 4K device mm-hmm. and offers you the upgrade. For, oh, okay. For, yes. For an additional amount every month. Yeah, you have to you have to be at their 4K tier. Exactly. Which sadly, I am, or or happily, I am. I don't know. Well, Both. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have mixed emotions now too. I'm at that same level. I, I hit the button and said yes. Sure. Um, and indeed, the first thing we ended up watching from start to finish uh, in 4K was don't look up. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. We ended up watching it. Oh, and, so. and, I, and I gotta say, um, the end of the world looks stunning in 4K. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> um, it was uh, actually uh, better than I was expecting it to be in terms of story. It was also more frustrating, but I'll say frustrating in terms of there are aspects of the story that are just frustrating. Mm. Uh, there are, and indeed the, uh, um, you know, the, 
It's supposed to be satire. It's too close to be a. Doc- it's too close to realism to be, you know, almost a documentary. I could see this kind of stuff happening. It's the the plausibility factor. I think is what what really feeds yeah, everybody's exactly anxiety. Exactly how I felt. Yep. Um, I didn't. I while the while the end of the world was happening, I did. I did kind of sort of feel that, but mm. um, I was. I slept just fine that night. Uh, oh, well, the, fuck you. <laughs> what I found hilarious. Uh, is that nobody mentioned there was a post-credits scene? Oh yes. Well, and there's a there's a during credits. It's scene during credits screen and, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. and a and a very post all the way at the end. I uh, yes, I didn't like either one of those two things. Oh really? <laughs> yes, because I felt that the uh, the the big scene in the middle of the credits, right? Um, it it's uh, I I liked the last. The last thing that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio says uh, uh, was, um, we really did have everything, didn't we? Oh, right, right. And then the world ends. And I thought that is probably, despite the fact that I have mixed feelings about the movie, that might want be one of the best last, last lines of a film oh, I've ever right. heard. But it right. wasn't because it, there was this whole post, yep. uh, you know, the whole during the credit scene. Right. Um, and then the end of the credits joke, it was just a five second little thing at the end. I felt kind of undermined a lot. Interesting. Okay. You, you know, I just felt for the, for the sake of a laugh, you know, I, I really wanted. It's funny because to- I, I only saw, I did not see the five seconds. And then at the end, I'm going to have to go and okay. um, fire it up and, and fast forward to the very end. Uh, the part in the middle. So. I mean, obviously, we're trying really, really hard to avoid spoilers here because yeah. I just I, I don't want to do that to anybody. But the fact that that um, the, the storyline that allowed that po- mid credit uh, scene to happen, yeah, I found annoying. Right, that was right. like Deus Ex Machina in spades. Yeah, but um, but that it happened. Uh, what happened during it? And uh, the the foreshadowing <laughs> that it that it spoke to uh, that was earlier in the movie. Yes, uh, I thought that was hilarious. I I, yeah. I actually I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, you're right. The the movie in and of itself ended um, at the beginning of the credits. As you're right, that's that's a that would have been a fine fine place to end it and not try and be Marvel. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I know they couldn't they couldn't resist the laughs there at the yep. yep at the expense of that so mm. so anyway that's what um and the, you know there's other other random stuff we've been watching but those are the the ones that are notable for this week i think yeah for me uh, i'll go back to a book um i i quickly read uh a an old book called adrift 76 days lost at sea um listeners will remember that earlier this year i was on a kick of survival adventure stories so this is one that I didn't quite get to. So I got to it. Great book about a guy that's lost at sea. True story. 76 days on a raft in the Atlantic and beats the odds and uses his smarts really to uh, survive. And there's a lot of that in there. A lot of like making making a solar still work by meticulously taking it apart, understanding how it works and putting it back together. That kind of thing. Cool. You know, building a how do I catch fish using it? Sometimes he literally goes in and says i have a problem what do i have and then he lists like all these things that he's got you know that are just like how can any of those be used and you know you could see how i understand this was part of the inspiration for maybe the movie castaway and right. i know it was inspiration for uh 
uh, that uh, Life of Pi movie too, mm-hmm. you know, and you could see some of that. And the book was written in, I think, 1982 or 83, somewhere around there. So it predates, you know, anything you think, anything you think that may, may have come, uh, he may have gotten for this book. Actually, this it was from this book that influenced those things. <laughs> you right, know, this is the original right. source. Yeah. Um, so great. I couldn't, I, I really, I ended up staying way too late for a few nights in a row, just <laughs> reading because I, I cool. was very, very cool. Uh, survival story book with um, a lot of philosophy, but no religion. Mm-hmm. He, he talks a lot about the ocean and asks questions about why things are happening. Why are these fish near me? Why didn't these waves kill me? But he never crosses the line and talks about religion. Mm. He only t- talks about it as I have these qu- questions as to why this, why are things like this? Cause if it was slightly different, I would be dead. Right. You know, right. so you know, interesting stuff. And he sticks to, sticks to being philosophical, which I really appreciated in this book because I right. maybe get a lot more out of it. Um, so anyway, link, link to that. Cool. Uh, I want to throw out one additional book. Yeah. Um, it it kind of goes, um, you know, slightly against the enthusiastic part of our podcast, but I wanted to mention it anyway. I just finished it. it took me a couple of weeks to read it. It's called This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends. And what it is, it's by a New York Times reporter who's chronicling the rise of the zero-day black market, meaning um, zero-day exploits, uh, zero-day vulnerabilities that are available uh, in the black market, being bought and sold and encouraged by nation states, governments, including our own, and so forth. Um, you know, everything from Stuxnet that I think was the one thing most people will at least hear as being familiar that I've heard of before, um, to uh, the ongoing uh, remote uh, attempts to infiltrate uh, utilities, voting, all that kind of stuff. So I, it's a really good book. It is a chronicle. Uh, it's not necessarily going to say this is what we should do or do different, but it is something that will help you understand a lot more of what's going on in the background of a lot of these stories. Um, and it may or may not make you feel more comfortable with the internet as it is, but uh, but I just I found it an interesting read, and I learned a lot about the various things that have been going on. All right. I- see oh you know what blatant blatant self-promotion i'll start yeah <laughs> um so uh i don't know do they do they on windows do you still do like dos commands every oh, once absolutely. in a while yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so you know on mac we've got linux terminal commands right so occasionally i do videos on those um and they're fun because it gives you a chance on your mac to geek out you know drop down to the command line and you know type commands that uh, you could have typed many decades ago to right. do similar right. things. So I have one recently on using the terminal to find large files and folders. It's easy to f- easy to do that in the Finder to find you know large files, but mm-hmm. to actually ask it to say you know I want I want folders as well. You know just ca- calculate the folder sizes and tell me if there's anything that's bigger than a gig. Sure. You know that kind of sure. thing. So I have a, a video on that. I'll point to that one. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I um, yeah, the command line is is alive and well in Windows for sure. Uh, it's it's been they've been migrating it. Uh, the command shell that exists uh, in all versions of Windows is very much DOS like. It's very much like MS DOS back in the day. It's an outshoot of that. But then in Windows 10, they introduced something called PowerShell, which oh, is okay. I've heard of that. Yeah. something that is, uh, they decided they didn't have to be compatible, which allowed them to 
really greatly expand the kinds of things that can happen in a command line environment. So it's actually pretty cool. It's not something I've spent a tremendous amount of time with, but it is definitely a, a commitment. And when you think about it, end users probably don't necessarily need to care that much about the command line anymore, no. but no. administrators love it, right? System yeah. administrators absolutely love the command line. So cool. Um, I am going to point people at an article I've had around for a very long time. It's Windows File Explorer settings, the setting you should change right now. Uh, it's askleo.com slash 5043. The reason I mention it and continue to mention it periodically, is that there is a default setting in Windows File Explorer, the equivalent to Finder in um, in Mac, that is just set to be stupid. It's and, and stupid in such a way that with the default setting, it's easy for a scammer to spam or to uh, fool you into thinking the document you're about to open um, is something other than what it really is. So I, uh, it's one of those things that it's the one of the first things I change whenever I set up a new machine, and it's one of the first things that I recommend everybody change as soon as they, um, you know, have Windows and are using it or setting it up for the first time. That's uh, Windows File Explorer settings, the setting you should change right now. Mm, okay. I think that pretty much wraps us up for another week. I will be out next week, so it'll probably be a couple of weeks before we uh, do this yep. again. Sounds good. Um, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh153. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or of course, just hit that show notes page, leave a comment, and one of us will respond. Absolutely. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again in a couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.